Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is the wrath of God. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and it's my honor to serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I am Dawn Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so I chose this topic, and I chose it in the wake of a lot of the natural disasters that have been happening recently. And often the phrase, wrath of God, is bandied about as a reason for them, usually as a sign of disapproval or something in that nature. Given that, I wanted to take a look at how we understand the wrath of God to be biblically and how the ELCA views it. So let's start with where it comes from. And am I right that it's an Old Testament thing? It is an Old Testament thing. And it's a New Testament thing. Mm, I don't remember it so much from the New Testament. It's in both. Okay. It exists throughout our entire scripture. Okay. So how much then of our understanding of the wrath of God is biblical versus how we may have skewed it from pop culture references? Well, I think that really depends upon the individual. Okay. Because I don't listen to a lot of stuff that talks about the wrath of God. I don't have cable television and my radio listening is pretty dialed into one station. And so I don't hear a lot about the wrath of God. It shows up like, okay, horror movies. Which I don't watch. I remember it showing up in Twister, my favorite (laughs) guilty pleasure movie of all time, mainly as the tornado being the defender of God, not necessarily the wrath of God. Okay. But it it gets used, that kind of awe-inspiring destructive power Mm. is kind of how I'm seeing it. Okay. So the things we can't explain when they're destructive. Yes. I think that that is a little more pop culture and a little more us trying to understand why bad things happen to good people. Sure. The study of that is actually called theodicy. Okay. And that is that whole understanding of why, if people are good people, do terrible, horrible things happen to them. Mm Mm-hmm. And when we start to think about our God in that way, then we start leaning towards what is short-termed in theological terms called works righteousness. Okay. Which means that when we do things, we earn the way that we are treated in the world, right? So Uh we can earn our salvation by doing good works. We can earn our righteousness by doing good works. So then, Conversely, if, if you're a horrible person, horrible things happen to you. Precisely. Okay. And so if you are awful and you break the commandments or whatever, then therefore you should have and you do have bad things happen to you. And what that does is it spirals us down into this pit where then when someone is given a cancer diagnosis... Uh huh. They try to figure out, well, what did I do wrong to deserve a cancer diagnosis? Uh huh. Or when someone's house is blown away by a hurricane, what did I do wrong to deserve this hurricane? And then, because it's hard to understand things and because we're overwhelmed, we blame it on God. Sure. And it's a lot easier, especially for people who are removed from the situation, maybe on the mainland instead of on the island Mm -hmm. to say, well, clearly they must have done something wrong in order to deserve this punishment, this wrath of God, Mm -hmm. because then that keeps me feeling safe and in control of my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm a good person. Because I'm a good person and it hasn't happened to me or my area. So obviously 
it plays into our own egos. Oh, totally. When we think that way. And it plays into our own sense of security then because it's really, really, really scary. Like if Mm -hmm. you've been spending time watching the news in the last three weeks, it's really scary to think that, I don't know, entire islands could be blasted apart and destroyed Mm -hmm. because of one storm and millions of people could be in danger and harm's way with no preparation. Mm -hmm. And that's a really frightening feeling to think of life being that tenuous and unpredictable Mm -hmm. and so it's a lot easier to think well it it must be because i don't know i have a lot of debt Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so well then let's step back and look at it biblically where does it come from where did this all start it starts in genesis okay so we see the phrase wrath of god or talking about god's wrath and those kinds of pieces in english right because obviously we're talking about an english translation sure And so the word wrath shows up starting in the book of Genesis, and it goes all the way through to the book of Revelation. Okay. And it comes up in almost every genre. It's in the Psalms. It's in the prophets. It's in the writings. It's in the gospels. Wow. It's in the letters. It's in Revelation. It's all the way through our scripture. Huh. But the interesting thing about it is that the word you know, it gets translated to one word, it gets mm-hmm. translated to wrath, but there are multiple words that are used in the Hebrew and the Greek. Okay. So doing a word study on this, which means that you open up that thing. I think we talked about it a long time ago in our piece on like how to do biblical study. So opening up the concordance and looking up the word wrath, you get in the Hebrew, a whole bunch of different words that then get translated to that one English word. And in the Greek, you get a couple. Okay. There's about four or five, and two of them are consistently used when talking about God's wrath, and the other two or three are human wrath, like don't bring about your children's wrath. Sure. So that's a different word used in the Greek because you're talking about a human response rather than a divine response. Each of these words is actually kind of interesting and fascinating how they approach the word and the concept Mm -hmm. of what they're getting at. Do you want to start with the New Testament or the Old Testament? Let's go back to the beginning. Let's start with the Old Testament. All right. So let me get my notes. You're going to hear them here in the background. (laughs) Paper noises. Paper noises. Paper noises. All right. The one that gets used a lot in the Strong's Concordance that I have means more... And this is going to be so interesting. Okay. It's more about breath. Oh, okay. Than it is about emotion. Oh, okay. So it's the heavy breathing of God. Okay, now where are they going with that? It's really fascinating because if you start to think of like this heavy breathing, this air, it also is related to nostrils and it's related to fast breathing and Mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. So when we think about breath and breath of God, it ties you back to creation. Well, yeah, I think of giving life to something, you know, to CPR, to didn't he like blow on something and made something? Yes, absolutely. So with the breath of God, when human beings were created, God took earth and Mm -hmm. water and made a mud pie, like the best mud pies ever, Uh and then breathed on them. 
in order to create human beings. And it was the breath of God, the breath of life that created these human beings that God created in order to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. God had made everything else in the world and said it was all good. So there's no destruction in this whatsoever. So far, no. Okay. So this is like, I created you for relationship. And in some of the Hebrew scripture, when it's talking about you have brought on God's wrath, Mm -hmm. you have kindled the wrath of God. That is often when this particular Hebrew word is used, when you've kindled the wrath of God. Okay. You have started the heavy breathing of God. You have started the passionate, frustrated breathing of God. Huh. And if I think about the impetus for God's breath being a longing for relationship with someone, Mm -hmm. then what is it that makes you breathe heavily and frustrated in your life with other people? Well, when you're longing for connection and longing for genuine relationship with perhaps a family member, Mm -hmm. and that family member breaks the rules or does something that you have to hold them accountable for, and you kind of start to breathe a little heavier. Mm -hmm. And that's wrath. Okay. That's That's a very different understanding of wrath. Totally, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just going back and doing a word study and going back and looking to see how does this word study lead us to understand this a little differently. And so, okay, then as someone who works with youth or children, Mm -hmm. how many times have you taken a deep breath? Sure. Or conversely, how many times have you seen somebody hold their breath? Right. Uh Because they've just got to get through this moment and find a way to restore this relationship because this relationship ain't working this way. Mm -hmm. And it's not about, I want to punish you. It's, How am I going to fix and restore this? Interesting. And breathing heavy, that kind of a piece. So that's one of the definitions. That's one of the words that get used a lot through the Hebrew scriptures for wrath of God is this heavy breathing. And some of the others absolutely are about like anger, hot anger, fierce anger, rage or strife, displeasure, fury, So some of them are certainly about that. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, when that word gets pulled up in a sense of rage or fury or fierce anger, it's about issues of justice and injustice. Okay. So you have taken advantage of the poor and you have taken their shoes for your own and you have not built them up and you have provoked God's fury. Okay. Well, if you've broken relationship with one another in such a manner, and then you've broken relationship with God in that way as well. When you're taking advantage of other created beings of God, that produces an anger because you're breaking relationship. Okay. And there's consequences to be had in that. Does that mean you get a hurricane? No. Okay. But it means that there are going to be consequences within your culture and within your people because you're taking advantage of others. You're leading a life that is going to result in more violence and more bloodshed in the world as opposed to less violence and less bloodshed in the world. Simply because with free will, if you keep taking advantage of another person, that person eventually 
is going to try to seek retribution. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10 in human history, that means war, death, and violence. Mm -hmm. So that kind of consequence is part and parcel of what's going on here. Okay. The last one we'll look at is kind of this understanding of this outburst of okay. rage that you have. The The word itself is kind of like um, if you have a log in the fire and it cracks mm -hmm. and the sparks go flying mm -hmm. and then the fire bursts a bit, right? You've, you've mm -hmm. had that kind of a moment. So that's the imagery of that word. Okay. Right. To burst in anger. Okay. To burst in frustration. And those contexts oftentimes are these moments where great breaking of relationship has occurred. Okay. And you have, God became furious. God had this kind of wrath, this kind of anger with the people in the desert when they created the cow. Okay. That moment of just seriously... Mm -hmm. You had to do this. Again, there's not a, I am go, well, in that case, God did slaughter a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's consequence mm -hmm. to these things, right? And yes, in the Old Testament, you do see those consequences come. Well, yes, I was about to get to the point where I wanted to ask, what about the flood and Lot and his wife and Sodom and Gomorrah and all of that? Well, the flood wasn't a kindling of God's wrath. Oh, okay. The flood was people are really messing this up and the world needs a do-over. <laughs> just straight up do-over, huh? Straight up do-over. No anger? Just gotta it, get start again. Just start again. They're a sinful lot. I can't control them. I can't figure this out. We're just going to hit the reset button. Wow. Drastic, right. but okay. Right. And then afterwards, that's where the rainbow comes in. It's mm -hmm. like, I Dove. won't do that again because that really was pretty drastic. So mm -hmm. yeah, not, not hitting the reset button again, which is a good thing. Yeah. I'm grateful for that. The lot and his wife... Again, consequence to action. Okay. Not wrathful anger and vengeance. They didn't trust God, right? She didn't trust God enough to know that God was going to provide for their future. Uh -huh. And she turned around and looked back to her past. And she turned to Ash because she wouldn't look forward. Mm -hmm. And if you think about, I'm fuzzy, if it was Ash or Salt, that she turned into. I think it's salt. I think it's salt. And if you think of the metaphor of that, here's a woman being led away from everything she knows, and she looks back and she turns to salt. How many people in that kind of catastrophic incident where your entire town is being destroyed because of whatever reason, I don't know that it's the wrath of God necessarily that destroys the town, or if it's the evils that have been occurring in the town, and you turn back and you see that falling apart and you fall into depression and tears, which are mm, mostly salt, salt. Mm -hmm. and you never recover and never look forward and never reenter life again, right? So we can take some of these things and play with the metaphors on them and let them seem a lot more about the lesson of when you leave a place, if all you do is look back, mm -hmm. you never move forward. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different way of seeing that. And Sodom and Gomorrah 
the reason that town had been destroyed was not because of of taking advantage of the male guests who came. It wasn't an issue of that. It was that the entire town, when these guests came, instead of showing hospitality, they said, send out your guests and we're going to take advantage of them. And it was a gang scene where they were going to sexually take advantage of these guests to show power over them. Mm -hmm. And the innkeeper said no and instead sent his daughters out. So his daughters are abused mm-hmm. and used by the crowd. And so it's not that there was sodomy happening mm-hmm. that caused the town to reach this. It's that they were so disrespectful to the immigrant, the visitor, the person coming through town that they wanted to show power over and that they took advantage of those who are helpless and those who had no rights within the space, and that they used sex as a way to show that power over and to demonstrate their, I don't want to say the word power again, but their Mm -hmm. power, setting themselves up as the biggest ones in the whole town. And when you have a culture that is doing that, it's going to destroy itself. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not going to flourish. It's not going to make it. And that kind of breaking of relationship with the stranger, with the foreigner, with the outcast, with the powerless, with the lost, that kind of break instigates God's wrath Uh because God wants a shalom society of peace, not a society where we take advantage of one another. And that gets God fuming and breathing heavy uh-huh and consequences come again does god send the consequence or is it human nature and free will mm-hmm. that creates the consequence people have been debating this for centuries so we're not going to solve it no in a short podcast no but you've already solved at least for me that much of this does not really come from a true biblical understanding of what the wrath of god is it's a very different, it's fascinating to look at it mm-hmm. and to see what it actually kind of is surrounding. Now, when we move to the New Testament, we get two main Greek words. And I'll go back to my notes. Paper okay, noises. more paper. Two main Greek words. One of them is thumos and one of them is orge. Okay. And one of them, which I found really, really interesting, thumos is another word, and this one is in most of the book of Revelation. Okay. When the wrath of God is talked about, it is the word thumos that is used, and that comes to mean passion and breathing hard. Huh. We go back again to that first word, that Uh idea. In the book of Revelation, we're coming to a culmination in the promise of a new creation. Mm -hmm. And we get this play on God's breath again. Sure, as it is now creating something new again. Exactly. And taking the old world away and bringing a new world, a new city, a new Jerusalem. Huh. And then the word orge, you see this one a lot, for example, in the book of Romans, when Paul is writing about God's wrath and the wrath of God. And this is an anger 
that is based in a desire for connection. Okay. Okay. So orge sounds a lot like another word <laughs> uh-huh. in the English language, probably similar roots, right? We're talking about, I want to connect. I want that relationship. And this is a kind of a frustrated situation that I can't have this relationship because there's something stopping us from having this relationship with one another. I think that what is really interesting about all this is that it has as much to do with God's wrath is about finding that justice and relationship and right relationship with one another. It's not about, you know, this Santa Claus kind of idea where I see you being naughty and I'm angry at you for being naughty. Sure. And I'm going to punish you with coal in your stocking. Sure. It's not, I see you doing a naughty thing and so I'm going to punish you by wiping out your entire community. It's more along the lines of, I see you breaking relationships with one another and I can't allow you to continue to do that. And I'm really angry at this and there are consequences to this kind of an action, and it's going to bring about the entire destruction of your community. I think back to the Jonah story, and I told the Jonah story in my sermon last weekend. Okay, for those who don't know, Jonah, swallowed by a whale. Yep, that's the guy. That's the one. So what happens is Jonah is tasked to go to Nineveh and to tell them to repent. And he doesn't want to do it. And he doesn't want to do it because Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, which is the community, the culture that came and wiped out the northern Jewish kingdom Mm -hmm. shortly before this occurred. And so Jonah is being told to go to the heart city of the enemy to tell them to change their ways. (laughs) He's right. That's not going to go over well. Right? He doesn't want to go. And we aren't told anywhere in the beginning of Jonah why he doesn't want to go. We just know that he really doesn't want to. Well, it kind of seems obvious. It seems obvious to us. What would you say would be the reason? I wouldn't want to go to the main camp of my enemy and tell him something bad's going to happen. Right? Like They're going to kill the messenger. There you go. So that's the expectation. That's why we think Jonah doesn't want to go. So there's a whole great part of the story... You can either, you know, watch it back on Facebook on our live stream or go read the book of Jonah. There's a crazy idea. Um, There's an idea. It's not that long. And eventually, though, even though he runs the literal opposite direction and gets swallowed by a whale and then he gets spit up on the shores of Nineveh. (laughs) You can run, but you can't hide. Right. So he ends up in Nineveh and he does like the most pathetic preaching in the history of preaching. And he walks like a third of the way into the city. Gets out a megaphone and says, good luck. You're all going to die. No, I think he probably like muttered it under his breath. (laughs) He like, you know, traipses in and like under his breath, 40 more days and Nineveh will be no more. That was his entire sermon. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves. And what's the miraculous thing about Jonah, this book, this writing, is that the people of Nineveh repent. And the king of Nineveh hears this and orders the entire city to put on sackcloth and ashes and to turn their ways and to start a different way. And so the reason I bring this up is because Nineveh was facing the potential of being destroyed because their actions in the world were causing such horrible things that their culture could be destroyed. Well, and some would say that's lovely, but that's too little too late. And that's exactly how Jonah felt. 
So the beauty of the book of Jonah is that we get that mm-hmm. sense because he's sitting up on the top of the hill overlooking the city as they put on sackcloth and ashes and they start to repent and they're going to change and the city is going to be saved and the culture is going to be saved. And Jonah's like, ugh, I would so rather die right now. This is why I didn't want to come to Nineveh, because I knew that you were a God of grace and mercy, abounding (laughs) in steadfast love, and you were going to totally forgive them. And I would so much rather die than have you forgive these people. So he wants to carry a grudge. Oh, he totally carries a grudge all Uh the way through. I mean, and that's how the book ends. The book ends with Jonah pouting on a hill and God saying, should I not care about these thousands of people and want them to be well. I kind of feel like we need Jonah to say, okay, I get it. So we can all figure out that, yeah, it's okay to say I get it and move on ourselves. Or is it better that Jonah never really gets it because that's a whole lot more realistic? Well, it's realistic. And yet at the same time, it just seems as a wonderful way to use the Bible to carry on a grudge, as long as you feel you can carry on that grudge. (laughs) But God doesn't carry the grudge. Yeah, but nobody gets to that point, though. (laughs) Well, that's where the New Testament comes in. Okay. And when it comes to the wrath of God, when we look at, for example, our book of confessions, the book of Concord. Okay. And we take a look at what the early writers in the Lutheran church wrote about the wrath of God because it is in our confessions Okay, and understanding it. There's a really beautiful section out of the apology to the Augsburg Confession. So what this is, is the Augsburg Confession is like, this is what we believe is true. Okay. It's a document that was written about all kinds of theological topics that was presented to the Pope on behalf of those who would come to eventually be called Lutheran. Okay. And it's the, this is what we stand on. This is what we believe to be true. And then that gets presented by a gentleman named Melanchthon, Mm -hmm. because Luther can't go because they'd kill him. So Melanchthon presents this information, and then he comes back from that to Luther and other early Reformation writers and said they want clarification on different points. Okay. So we're going to write an apology to, not like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm giving you an apology, but an addition to, a further clarification of the Augsburg Confession. And so in the apology of the Augsburg Confession, in Article 4, under justification, there's a really fascinating and beautiful section about the wrath of God that I'll share here. Please do. Okay. So more... Paper wrestling. Paper noises, because I want to get it right, and the Book of Concord is not a small book. No. (laughs) All right. So this is section 36 in Article 4, and it says, Finally, it was very foolish for the opponents to write that human beings, guilty of eternal wrath, merit the forgiveness of sins through an elicited act of love, meaning that you can earn forgiveness from the breaking of relationships through good acts. Since it is impossible to love God until the forgiveness of sins is first grasped by faith. Meaning, well, hold on, they keep going. For the heart that truly believes that God is angry is unable to love God until he is shown to be reconciled. For as long as God terrifies us and appears to be casting us into eternal death, 
human nature cannot bring itself to love such a wrathful, judging, and punishing God. So when we struggle with this idea of the wrath of God in so many in our culture, and I would say in our here immediate area of Portland, can't love a God Mm -hmm. that would bring a hurricane and destruction. Well, you're right. You can't Mm -hmm. love a God that is like that. Our hearts can't do it. And that's where the hope of the New Testament comes in and the promise that we've been given that through the act in the life of Jesus, because he existed and did what he did, we have been reconciled to God and to one another. Our relationships are being healed through our relationship with Christ. And in that reconciliation comes a health and a freedom from that wrath, from that anger of God. So our writings and our confessions say that the wrath of God and the writings about it in the scripture point us ever more to Jesus and the saving act of Jesus on the cross. That was a whole lot of theological language. Yes, it was. Yeah. But so much more hopeful than any other version of wrath of God I have ever come across. And I think it relies heavily on the idea of free will. It relies heavily upon our understanding that at the root, God wants a relationship with Mm -hmm. us. And it relies heavily on trying to understand that part of who Jesus is intrinsically in our understanding is a healer who has come to heal broken relationships Mm -hmm. and to heal us back into community community with one another and community with God. And so it takes it away from being the wrath of God is the unexplained acts of God, Mm -hmm. thanks insurance company, Mm -hmm. for giving a horrible theological basis for people. (laughs) Lovely. It takes it away from being about giant catastrophic events to being about what happens within our cultures when we are breaking relationship with one another. Excellent. Okay, so our last question today actually comes from our Facebook wall. We had put out there, if anybody had any thoughts about the topic we were going to record on, please let us know. And happily, somebody did. Yeah. And the response, I think, is another way of looking at this wrath of God kind of piece. Okay. And the response back was, I am always wondering what I am substituting in my life as God's wrath, but are actually things that are my own fault. And then wondering when it's long past where the reconciliation can be made or how. And I think that's a great question because I think that when we think about God's wrath as being bad things that happen to good people, Uh then we look at things that happen to us like the loss of a relationship or the loss of... Uh, a venture or the loss of a home. And we say, that's got to be God's wrath. Uh And I am so out of control. I have no control over that. That's just God's wrath coming down on me. Instead of looking at, well, where am I culpable and where am I participating in that? Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard thing to try to find the way. I mean, how uncomfortable is it to own our own complicitness in the brokenness of the world. Oh, absolutely. You know, when we talk about these broken relationships and the consequences that come from them as being this source of God's wrath, 
to own how we participate in creating those broken relationships is really, really hard and uncomfortable work. Yeah, nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody wants to be at fault. Right. No one wants to say that my privilege gives me advantage over other people and I need to check it. Like, it's really uncomfortable and really icky. And yet, that's the kind of thing that we have to figure out how to do in order to try and restore balance and shalom within one another, between one another. And so I think it's a good question to wonder about what are you blaming on God rather than owning your own part in? Uh And who knows what that is for any individual, right? That could be any number of different things. But I think that's a great question to be asking yourself. And I think that if you really want to dig into that kind of a question, Having a trained professional help you do that, a good therapist. Is an excellent way. Is a great way to go looking at that. And how to find reconciliation after we've done these kinds of things, how to restore relationship after we've had these things happen. Gosh, that's awfully hard. And the one person that I will turn you toward is Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Mm -hmm. And for an actual like handbook on how to practice forgiveness and reconciliation... The book of forgiveness that he wrote with his daughter is fantastic because it can give you actual concrete steps on how to practice that reconciliation that's going to restore relationship and bring you back from continuing down the path that is that is wrath, that is broken, that brings heavy breathing because you can't fix it, Mm -hmm. all of that. So those would be my responses. And thank you for sending in the question. Yes. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the wrath of God. I look forward to sitting down with you another day on another topic. As do I. And thank you for listening. I hope that this was an interesting podcast to listen to today. If you have opinions, thoughts, questions, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Church Basement, or you can also email us at podcast at centralportland.org. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you, no matter what.